and that's kind of like the Victorian sex thing in general is just like so buttoned up and repressed and therefore there's just like an explosion of just like tons of BDSM stuff, lots of really hardcore um, sadomasochistic things show up <laughs> in in the stories. Jess Everly had rejection after rejection before she submitted A Gentleman's Book of Vices and got a book deal. It's a story that perseverance pays off, as does sometimes not paying attention to the market. Since she says she wrote the book during COVID, paying zero attention to social media or the romance industry to see what was quote unquote hot. So she missed that sexy frozen alien book or whatever it was that everyone was reading. Well, except for me and I guess Jess during shutdown. I love that Jess came to romance via urban fantasy, as did I. She said that her urban fantasy books had just enough romance in them that when she was on submission, she was surprised that some of the publishers her agent submitted to were like romance forward um, imprints. So she took a closer look at the genre and she began penning Gentleman's Book of Vices, lucky for us. This interview is totally at the intersection of Victorian lit, gender studies, and oddly public health. Um, and it will all make sense when you listen. Uh, we also talk about Hustler Hollywood. Hustler, Hollywood, my favorite store. For a personal update, the new job continues. Not gonna lie, this has been a really rough transition and because of it, I, I really don't think I'm gonna get any books out this year. It is highly unlikely I will have a new release. But I am gonna put some focus on this podcast, whatever that means, um, for a while and see if I can grow listenership. And that is where you, my friend, come in. If you enjoy this podcast, can you please head over to iTunes or wherever you listen and rate and review it? It helps with discoverability and it also helps as I pitch myself out to other podcasts because that's what you do to grow listenership. People who listen to podcasts will listen to more podcasts. So you've got to pitch out too. Anyway, I've had some podcast interviews in the past for whatever reason, none of them have aired. Maybe I'm a crappy guest. I have no idea. Um, but anyway, I'm going to try again because as Jess shows us during this interview, perseverance does pay off. So now on to the interview. Jess Everly writes decadent historical romance from the Northeast Ohio split level she shares with her small family of furballs and fellow humans. She holds a BA from the Ohio State University where she studied English and gender studies focusing on Victorian literature and public health topics. While that background resulted in an eclectic resume, her passion for reading and writing has never wavered. She has a deep love of interesting art, offbeat communities, and admittedly pretentious coffee brewing systems, which I think we need to talk about. Her debut novel, The Gentleman's Book of Vices, comes out November 29th through Karina Press. It's the first of the Lucky Lovers of London novels, a series of witty queer Victorian era romances described as Bridgerton meets Tipping the Velvet. That's amazing. Jess, welcome to Steam Scenes. Thanks so much for coming on. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me. This is awesome. Oh, this is going to be so much fun. Um, okay, I just want to sort of kick off with the whole Victorian era thing, because I think yeah. this is so cool. Now, do you know Bethany Bennett? She writes uh, historical regency. 
I don't know. Okay. That's a new one to me. She was on the podcast um, twice because I'm thinking about like how this when this is going to air, and mm-hmm. she I think she will have like maybe have been the guest before you, maybe a few before okay. you. It would be her second time on, and um, she was talking about she wrote a Victorian. Now I can't remember exactly um, the sort of like what what had happened, but she wrote a Victorian, and um, and her publishers were like. Eh, Regency sell like re- and it wasn't even that Regency sells better it's that Regency covers sell better than uh-huh. Victorian covers <laughs> and so it wasn't even like they didn't even they were like the story's great we love Victorian era romances can we make them cover Regency and she was like eh. but I'm so I'm curious I'm That's like funny I'm really fascinated that that you that Victorian got picked up and it wasn't a problem and I'm wondering if it's because it was queer I was surprised too that Victorian got picked up and it wasn't a problem to be honest. (laughs) I wrote it in part, um, I mean, mostly just because I was more familiar with it than Regency. I I tend to like, um, you get more interesting like class stuff in the Victorian era because there's this like growing middle class in the Victorian era and the upper middle class. So it's not all the like nobles and dukes all the time. There's there's more going on. sort of socially with that. And uh, so it's kind of why it appealed to me and I like the literature of the time. And so I kind of wrote it knowing there wasn't as much of it and kind of figuring that I would have to self-publish it, especially being queer, because I had found very little. There's some, there certainly is, and it's wonderful, Um, but not nearly as much Victorian queer stuff. Um, But I guess it was just the right place, right time, right editor. yeah, it's not, it does sound like, I mean, I think the premise of your, okay, so we should backtrack. I'm so excited. I'm like getting ahead. We should okay. backtrack. Okay, so The Gentleman's Book of Vices is your very first published book. I don't want to mm-hmm. say very first written. Um, Lucky Lovers of London, book one. So it's yes. going to be a series. We love yes. that. And, um, you know, and, and you had this really great blog post um, on your website about your publishing journey and how you got rejection after rejection after rejection Mm -hmm. after rejection. And I kind of loved how this was almost your throwaway submission. Like this was your submission where you were right. And and it's so funny because you're like, I wrote Victorian, nobody's gonna pick this up. Um, Because, and that was your expectation Mm -hmm. was that you would continue to get rejections, but you kind of submitted it anyway, assuming it'd be rejected and assuming you'd put it out yourself. Yes. And so I kind of love this weird little journey that kind of it is it was it was very odd um I've been trying to uh break in for a long time I actually wrote fantasy uh before this I I've been writing really I've been writing since I was like 14 or so um and then but more seriously as an adult I took a an urban fantasy on submission um with an agent in 2016 that did not go anywhere the timing was very bad on that one um market was saturated and then uh yeah, I just got, just kept on, kept on keeping on, got very used to hearing this sort of like, oh, this is great, but it's kind of weird. And it's kind of not marketable <laughs> right now. And that just kind of became like what I was used to. I'd like open a, open a query thing and be like, oh, I'm used to seeing these words. And um, yeah, not exactly what happened with this one. So I, I, I had been living sort of under a rock during COVID, I I deleted my Twitter. I wasn't on social media. I wasn't keeping any pulse on the publishing industry while I wrote The Gentleman's Book of Vices. 
Um, and so when I started it late 2019, it felt very niche. And then by the time I finished it, I was like, well, maybe things have changed. I haven't like poked my head out into the world of the living in a while. So why don't I send out a few queries um, just to see if any, maybe something's changed. What right. do I know? I'll see if something's changed. And in the meantime, I'll study uh, how to self-publish because I hadn't really looked into it too deeply yet. Um, and I got back uh, rejections from all the agents I submitted for that one query round, some mm. of which were very complimentary. They said, this is great. It's a good idea. It's a good story, but don't know but how to sell it. Sell it. Yeah. yeah. And having yeah. already had a book die on submission, I was like, thank you, please. If that's the case, tell me that. Well, um, I'm curious how long with, with, with your book on submission, with how long did it take for the agent to finally be like, I give up? You know, do you know what I mean? Like, how, what was yeah. that process? In that case, we only did um, one round of submissions because there just weren't a lot of imprints taking urban fantasy at that time. Okay. So it was very limited. Okay. And then um, that agent was great. It was, it, you know, he's a really nice guy, but it just, with the other books that I wrote, it just didn't really end up being quite the right fit. So I was just still kind of working on fantasy stuff, doing all these things. We parted ways. And then I just was trying to make this fantasy book work. And I just got sick of trying to rewrite the world and its rules mm -hmm. and like reinvent physics every time I wanted to write a book. Um, so it was very relaxing to write something that was in the real world, even if it's historical. Okay, so what made you pivot to not only romance, but queer mm -hmm. historical romance? Like what, apart from, I don't, I don't wanna have to deal with this physics shit anymore. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Um, so I'm queer, the things that I like are queer, the people that I hang out with are queer. So when I started reading romance, um, I gravitated to queer and uh and kinky romance as well and then so when i started writing it's like well you know what you what you put in tends to be what you get back out and i was trying to write something that would feel easier so right. i it was easier for me to wrap my head around it because i'd read so much of it and um just kind of been around so i just kind of jumped right in Cool. And were you reading contemporary historicals, a mix of contemporary and historicals? A little bit of a mix. I was still trying to kind of get my footing in what I really liked with okay. romance. I um, I actually started reading romance because that that urban fantasy I submitted had enough of a romantic element that it was submitted to source books, which surprised me. Um, but it wasn't. A, they liked it. And I was like, oh, you liked it. That's that's interesting. But it wasn't quite a romance. So I couldn't quite do it. Um, and I was like, well, if they liked my book, they must be, might be putting out things that I'm going to like too. So I started actually reading the genre that I, I wasn't actually very familiar with okay. at that point until fairly recently. So I was still kind of, kind of finding my footing and finding sort of a random assortment. I really like, um, like Tiffany Rice is like a super favorite of mine, the original Sinners series. I know that some people say it's borderline not a romance. <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, Love what it. is a romance, right? <laughs> it all ends happy in the end by the time you get there. So good enough for me. Um, I had a friend recommend KJ Charles as well, who does um, Gay Victorian and really loved her work and was trying to find some more stuff in that that time period, just because I'm such kind of like a slut for that Victorian stuff in the first place. So um so I just kind of a mix, kind of a little bit, a little bit of everything. I'm still figuring out, I'd say, what my favorites are. So it's all kind of all over the map. 
Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. Well, I'm, I'm completely intrigued actually by this urban fantasy. Like what? <laughs> what? Cause I wrote, I, I started writing urban fantasy. And so I have books out um, that I don't talk about, but I have mm. books out that have, that are in that genre. And it was the same thing where I had never set out to write a romance. It mm. was but I had romantic elements in it. Yeah. And, and that ended up sort of like kind of being my pivot into romance. Although I, I was a romance reader, but right. perhaps not as voraciously as some of my, of our fellow, mm-hmm. you know, our fellow. Some people are very writers. voracious. Yeah. Some of, yeah. Some, I'm very some impressed. Of, I know. I'm always like, wait, how many books do you read? It? What? <laughs> what? I don't like, I don't read. I get, like, I'm a slow reader. I am also a slow reader. Glad I am not the only one in this world who is a slow reader. Oh no. I've always been a slow reader. I am a super slow reader. And like, and especially if I want to like take it in, like I can read fast if I'm like skimming, but it's not going to stick. Like it's not mm-hmm. going to stick in my brain. So I just, I, I'm a, a little bit of a plodding reader. So <laughs> me too. Fair enough. Yay. <laughs> Um, I feel like I had, oh yeah. So urban fantasy. I'm like, I had a question in there and I lost the question. Um, what I want to know, like, was it vampires? Was it witches? We don't need to like go too into it, but I'm very curious. It was. And this, so I, I loved vampires for the record, but, um, and I'm so glad that they're like, I heard they were kind of coming back. So that's exciting for me, but it was not actually, it was not vampires. It was, I had invented these sort of like new age, uh, like fairy type creatures. They were based on kind of like the, um, like the Irish good people um, or something along those lines of like the little fairy beasties that live around you and meddle in human affairs, but um, you don't necessarily know where they are. So I kind of invented almost like a humanoid type thing. It was a really fun book, but again, I got kind of the, this is really good, but really weird. <laughs> don't know what to do with oh it. Oh my God. Could you please publish that? I would read it. I might. I might. Um, I got some requests from some friends in my critique group. Like, are you ever going to put that one out? Like, I don't know, maybe. So <laughs> okay. um, but I have time. I might. I would Official cons- request. Official okay. request coming Another at request. you. Because I like would read the shit out of that. It's fun. It's a fun one. Yeah. I've gotten a lot. I've hopefully gotten a lot better since then. So I definitely have to make some, some yeah. alterations to it. But okay. So so does this mean then, and it must mean that Gentleman's Book of Vices is your very first romance, like true yes. romance? Yes, it is. It is my first romance. Okay. Yep. So what was, so, okay. How, how, okay. Going back to the urban fantasy, how romancy was the urban fantasy? Like I'm going to, were, were the naughty bits in the urban fantasy or were your first naughty bits writing? There were naughty bits in the urban fantasy. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yep. All right. So, so you had already sort of like stepped over that threshold. Yes. Okay. I I don't know if they were very good, but they were, (laughs) they were in there. (laughs) And how was, how was it writing? Because uh, particularly for, from somebody who didn't at, at the time, didn't really read the romance genre. Like, what was that like for you writing it? Um, it's fine. I have to do a lot of editing on it. I tend to, um, any steamy scene, I, I write linearly, but I have to go back and rewrite them just like almost from scratch until I stop cringing when I look at it. And that can sometimes take a few, a few drafts to get to that point where I can look at it without just being totally horrified. Um, oh, wait, but it wasn't bad. 
so my I have an eclectic resume. Part of the, I worked at a um, Hustler Hollywood um, porn and sex toy store for a while. So like I'm not. Scared. I love Hustler Hollywood. <laughs> Yay! Oh my god, was that was a fun. That was a fun, weird little thing to do in Wait, life. They had a Hustler Hollywood store in Ohio. Oh yeah, well they have the two types. They have kind of like the truck stop one with like the adult bookstore sign on the highway somewhere, and then they had in Columbus a um, like a little boutique store that um, if you can get past kind of like that. Sometimes people are off put by that like hustler Hollywood vibe, but if you could get in the door, it like had the vibe of like a really cute kind of like woman owned toy store. Like everyone was very knowledgeable and very friendly, and it was like it was a really fun little job to have for a while so I wasn't really scared to write the naughty parts and stuff I was just kind of already there okay wait no see I'm now I'm hung up on Hustle Hollywood because I really oh, love no. this store was it no. <laughs> that's <laughs> great I've never said that to someone and had that reaction so that's fantastic <laughs> is it still around okay because my experience with Hustle Hollywood I've only ever seen one and that was in LA on sunset okay and I yeah. was like it was like Mecca and it had like the, the flouncy outfits in the, in the window. And it was all yeah. very Larry Flint and Los yes. Angeles. And it was, and, and it was, and I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. Now is it, so is it still there? Does it still have that vibe? Cause I don't think it's there anymore. No, on the one I worked at, it, it closed down. It, did clo okay. it closed down. Um, right around i i didn't stay all the way through the closing but it had closed within a couple of months of me of me leaving on yeah okay. it was um so it closed because you left no, of course no these the, i guess the boutique stores they had done three of them and i my understanding was that they just didn't it was one of those like kind of failed experiments and i think they closed all of those okay smaller stores down but there was one of those big ones somewhere else in ohio uh, I've never been there, but I believe there is one in Ohio or nearby, like a like a truck stop off the highway. I don't know how close it is to the one in LA, but absolutely incredible. there was one. Absolutely incredible. So okay. So I'm guessing you're a salesperson at this at Hustler? <laughs> yes. Okay. That is quite an awesome education for writing romance, especially kinky. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, that's really cool and I'm a little jealous I'm like oh, I, I, it was it was pretty fun yeah oh my god I'm, I'm sort of also curious what if you don't mind saying like what years what what year was this around what year because was that that would have been 2012 ish okay because all of that stuff really went online right which I think is why yeah some of that where why so many of the stores just closed you know like yeah so much ended up going online for sure and people would come in and mostly get the toys we had the actual porn there for the most part it was like old guys would come in and buy their dvds oh um oh which is you know they're always very nice that's so cute <laughs> I don't have a lot of horror stories, fortunately. Um, I maybe didn't stay there long enough. I had other coworkers who maybe had more, but right, right. overall, pretty pretty good. So, was the ratio of women to men? I mean, apart from the little old men going in and buying their little babies, um, so cute. Um, like, uh, were it was it mostly women going in there? Yeah, it was. Okay. It was mostly women. Okay, I kind of like that's there was um, in New York. Um, oh my God, was it? Eve's Garden, I think it was, mm -hmm. or something like that. Now I can't remember the name of it. And it was one of the first 
sex toy stores catered completely to women. It opened Mm -hmm. in the 70s. It was like a big pioneer. And they were like on the second floor of some office building on 57th Street. Nice. It was really kind of like you had to know where it was. Yeah. And go there. And it was it was such a cool place to go. And there was this real sort of feeling of women's sexual empowerment when you walk mm-hmm. in and, you know, so it was kind of, and, and I, you don't necessarily think about that when you think. Of no, it was, a. I had gone in as like a customer once because it was right down the street from where I lived. Like it was walking distance and we'd gone in and it was just really blown away by just how nice everyone was and just how, what a welcoming little spot it was. Cause from the outside, you did not think that's what you were going to get when you came in yeah so I mean this is like my plug to say like (laughs) listeners if there's a little sex toy shop in your neighborhood I highly recommend walking in and checking it out yeah you never know really what you're going to get based on what's on the outside yeah because like 90% of the time you're going to walk in and there's probably going to be some really amazing woman behind the counter who's going to help guide you through all of your choices yeah You know, and most of the people that I do know that do any sort of sex work, whether it's working at a store selling, you know, vibrators or whatever, or it's actual women sex workers, like, they're all like super knowledgeable and super happy to share the knowledge and pass it on. And they're very pro sex, no Mm -hmm. shaming. It's like, it's a great community to be in. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Okay, waxing on and on. <laughs> background. Oh my god, it's other- weird. That's why I put eclectic resume because I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm like, what other little nuggets <laughs> do you have going on there? I'm very curious. <laughs> and I'm super like, oh my god, this is so great. I'm a little surprised though that you weren't reading romance at that time. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. Can't really explain it. I just hadn't really picked it up a whole lot. That's amazing. That's really cool. So what was the first romance book you read? I, so I can't remember what it was called. Maybe there's a listener who will be able to tell me what this book was, but I was, I was in high school and I went to a used bookstore and I did not know there was a concept of like fantasy, like epic fantasy, magic and romance. And someone had shelved a steamy romance in with the fantasy books. And so my little nerdy self when, and I got like, oh, it's a prince. He's gone blind. It's the witch who's going to heal him, who is living in his castle. And it was like this like steamy, like Beauty and the Beast-esque uh, romance. There was some like... I would read the shit out of this book. I don't know book. if anyone can find this. This would have <laughs> been in the early 2000s. I don't know if it was old. I don't know already by the time I got it. Um, but it was like, the, she was making jokes about like his erection poking his eye out. That's what I remember. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I have never encountered anything like that. And I dog-eared all the little scenes that were, <laughs> that were the juicy scenes. <laughs> I don't know where it went. I'm not sure when I finally parted with that thing but that was the first one I ever read and then I never really sought it out I didn't know what it I didn't really realize it was a romance book I was like why does this have so much sex in it 
you're like I wanted epic fantasy I've got sex what's going on <laughs> yeah maybe that's where I got the idea I could make that urban fantasy and just throw a bunch of sex in it and still call it an urban fantasy I don't know well but I mean it's... you can I mean I guess it's you can of, yes I think that's where I'm good because I definitely want to write I want to go back to urban fantasy mm-hmm. and magic and magical systems and all that I really enjoy researching it I enjoy writing it mm-hmm. but I enjoy the romance part and I did have a lot of romantic elements in the urban fantasy, but never enough to make it an actual romance. Right. And so I'm trying to sort of figure out like where paranormal, like where does urban fantasy end and paranormal romance begin and how yeah. am I going to bridge that? It's a tricky little spot. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I have this idea for an urban fantasy but because now I am so entrenched in the romance writing like I want it to be a romance but so it kind of, but but it means that I can't really do my original idea because I don't right. really have the happily ever after and uh-huh. that is like what you are absolutely supposed to have right yeah like it's that's, kind of the one thing it's the one thing exactly so I don't know so it's it's sort of it is tricky where I'm still trying to sort out like okay so where where does one end and the other begin yeah well, I wish you wish you the best of luck figuring that out that's definitely a task because you're still like yeah I don't kind of either oh I don't yeah I don't know (laughs) (laughs) I haven't really tried yet but it's cool that I don't know it's cool that there's so many different all the different like subgenres and everything it was really exciting to kind of dive into romance and see just how much there is and it's all so different so varied it's very cool there's like something for everybody yeah which is why I really bristle um when somebody I I was in um I took a sex and relationship coaching course. I went mm. through a sex and relationship. And I remember telling, and I told somebody in the course, uh, you know, oh, what do you do? You know, because they're all there to be, you know, sex therapists, or yeah. well, not sex therapists, but do this sort of, you know, relationship work with people. And I was like, oh, I write romance and I'm just here. Uh-huh. <laughs> this will help my writing, you know? And, and then this person in the class said to me something to the effect of, oh, I tried reading a romance um, but it was also awful and misogynistic and like all of these like terrible, like yeah. she's all of these like terrible, terrible. And she was really shitting on women. And I was like, really, you just picked up the wrong book. Yeah. That surprised me too. Cause there's so much I, yes. you know, I, I think I had at some point picked up some romances at the library and been like, well, these aren't great, but there's so many that if you pick up any random one, who knows what you're going to get, you got to look and find exactly. things that you actually like. Exactly. And the thing is, you know, and it doesn't, if you, if you don't like something, it doesn't make that romance wrong. Like right. I, like, like I know for me, like there are certain romances where I'm like, it's not for me, Yeah, you know, but I completely understand that like any sort of, you know, writing about sex or even reading sexual experiences is a way to work through trauma. It's a way to work uh-huh. through fantasy. It's a way to it's a way to like work through all of these things. And so that's yeah. why it's always like never yuck on someone's yum because there's a reason why there is a place for dubcon. There is a mm-hmm. place for, you know, even though I personally struggle with reading it. Right. It 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 doesn't mean that it's inherently bad. Right. You know, so yep. yeah. What can we say about that? I don't know. <laughs> 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 but I, I wanted to talk about Victorian porn. Yes. Speaking we, of troubling, yeah, troubling erotic content, yes. <laughs> let's talk about Victorian porn. Because the Victorians 
loved their porn. Oh, it is a did. whole thing. It and is a whole thing. There are um, pictures, like little, like yep. almost like playing card pictures uh-huh. that are, because Victorian era was the photographs back then, yep. right? These are yes. all sort of like boudoir photography, yeah. of like olden style. Really extraordinary i'm a bit of a history nerd too uh-huh. so like and i love the victorian era so like i like those like the victorian porn i'm just, yeah i'm 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 a hundred percent there I'm like, awesome let's talk about this so <laughs> but it, it is a little problematic and i have seen you know some of the stories that came out of the victorian porn era there are yeah. little books and there's a lot of troubling content oh there. yes you know um, oh yes a lot of pedophilia uh-huh a lot of rape uh-huh a lot of yeah oh yeah <laughs> uh-huh. I, yeah I had to read I was reading them to write the gentleman's book of vices so oh for sure God. yes so oh, first of all how did you find them are you and were you reading them online were you reading yeah them? oh, oh yeah they're free they're on like project Gutenberg uh and just you can find them online okay. you don't have to buy them yeah they're, they're just all- out there public like public. yeah they're in like the public domain i'm just kind of curious about the victorian sensibilities with porn back then because it was was it it was criminal but it was one of those mm-hmm. like sort of vices where they kind of turned their heads yeah it was definitely sort of selectively enforced because i mean there's so much of yeah. it you know how they can't get all of it so right. it it was sort of a weird complicated um industry and situation and that's kind of like the victorian sex thing in general is just like so buttoned up and repressed and therefore there's just like an explosion of just like tons of bdsm stuff lots of really hardcore um sadomasochistic things show up (laughs) in in the stories um but yeah it was like if the laws as they were written, and I'm, I'm kind of just I'm going to do the best I can like on the fly with this. It was like if something could be proven to be corrupting to an innocent mind, then it could be it was criminal and could be banned. Um, people could be prosecuted for like peddling it and things like that. Um, but it was a very vague like standard. Of yeah, I was what... like, that's a little loose. Like... Yes, that is that is my understanding of it. Um, is that they could kind of say like, well, what if this fell into the hands of the sweet, innocent creature who's never known anything? Will it corrupt their mind? And if it if it could, and someone wanted it gone, then it could be gone. Wow, but there was a lot of it. Yep. There was they were so into it much like they were really into it. like I guess that's what happens when you have such you know intense repression is yeah you end up with a sort of an excess of pornography yes that's from what I've read that seems to be the the understanding of kind of what was going on right wow that's some wild research that you were doing it is i can't say that i can recommend things but there were there were ones that i i read in particular for the gentleman's book of vices that were sort of an interesting mix um of kind of different just different stuff just kind of get a feel and they 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 do like a tour sometimes of like every perversion imaginable so you know i read this read the sins of the cities of the plains which was put out in i want to say 1871 
ish, which is um, it's gay for the most part, though the way that sexuality and identity were understood then was a little bit different. So there's, I mean, I would almost call it pansexual. There's pairings of all kinds in Sins of the Cities of the Plains. Um, and uh, like, you just kind of get to see a little everything. There's the hardcore this, and there's some things that are kind of like actually hot or sweet. And then there's like, oh, this is horrifying. Please what leave my reading? eyeballs. <laughs> Going on. Yeah. like it's a very wide variety of like episodes and yeah. um that's actually other... been my experience reading victorian <laughs> porn like across the board where yes. I'm, like, some of it is so like you're just like oh and some of it is like no I'm, i can't read that and it can be in the same book yes. which is what really blows my mind is like you think you're going it's okay it's fine and then it's like what just is even happening <laughs> this is every trigger warning imaginable so if you're gonna like if you're gonna explore it just know everything, every warning. I'm not even going to list them because it's every single yeah, one. It is everything. And it will be in the same book. Because these are all in short, very books. short stories. These are all pamphlets, yes. basically. Like that yeah. they're like little pamphlet books. So these are very, Usually, very short yes. stories. So you can get like an absolute extra, like extreme levels, like you said, yes. in like one book where yes. you're just like, how did we even get there? And that's kind of, um, it was really fun in the gentleman's book of vices. I, the author writes this kind, like one of the characters is an author. So right. Miles is a smut author. Charlie is his biggest fan. Um, and there's sort of like jokes throughout about like the outlandish nature of these books that he's writing about like kidnappers and torturers and all these like horrible, dark, twisted things that he's writing about. But we don't see any of that. Like that's not on the page. They just have this like almost like fantasy connection on this one level but then the things that they actually do in real life are definitely a little more like what we're used to seeing in a regular romance novel <laughs> it's not going to be a trigger warning on your book you know <laughs> <laughs> those are on my website if anyone wants to see them but they will not be similar to uh to those I would put on the Victorian yeah. porn that the uh the character was is writing yeah um, you know, I kind of was, I'm like in love with the premise of having the lo a love story between this Victorian smut writer. And like, how did you come up with that? That is so awesome. I don't what even know if I can remember. remember. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> a great character. I wrote the first chapter, um, which follows uh, Charlie, the collector. Uh, and I just, I had read a couple of gay romances in a row where no shade, this is like maybe people's experience, but they, um, went to like a gay bar and were really relieved that it was kind of normal. And in my experience, when I've gone to queer spaces, I've been like, whoa, this place is crazy and I love it. Uh, there's people who are like dressed funny and they're like really free with their affections and we're like. I don't know. It's I go somewhere gay. It's super gay and I love it. And so I was just like, well, I read a few of those in a row. I think I'd like to do something where he's really excited and he's in this um, place where it's got feathers and pink and there's backroom shenanigans and uh, people in drag and uh, frilly drinks and what like it's just over the top. So I, I started just writing this chapter with this character and I was just like, I need a plot, I guess. So he's looking for an author. Okay, an author. Then I start writing the author. I'm like, well, what does he write? Well, you should write smut, right? Because I don't know, we gotta do something. <laughs> He's gotta write something interesting, doesn't he? So I, oh I just—it was kind of random. I pants, and so it just kind of appeared, probably just 
I don't know, he had, he had failed as a literary novelist. <laughs> I, I suppose I, and I didn't do this on purpose, but I had just come off of leaving fantasy and now I was going to write some smut. Right. So that's probably in like the back of my subconscious. It's like, well, we're, he's just going to be like, he's going to be like me and he's leaving his respectable <laughs> genre to just write, to write porn. And to write yes, porn. So I'm guessing that was in the back of my mind while I was just sort of like on the fly pantsing these characters out of nothing. Oh my God, that's fantastic. You kind of accidentally wrote your story. Yeah. yeah. And then I noticed that later and I was like, oh, well, that's kind of on the nose, but oh, well, it's fine. <laughs> Um, okay, so you, but you are writing sex between two men. Yeah. And so how did you, how did you manage to write something so that it was accurate or that it was, I mean, accurate, that's, a, I don't know if that's the right, I don't, that yeah. seems like a weird word to use, but you know, how, how, how did you get to, cause that's one of the things where I'm always like, I don't want to get it wrong. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I hope I did our, you know, I do my best, did my best. Um, I mean, I've read well you read I've a read lot I've read a bunch of it and um and I've read not just like what we consider like mm romance but like gay literary fiction right um actual like gay erotica um even uh one interesting one again you know recommend with caveats there is a there is a Victorian um erotic romance called Tulane that was probably written by Oscar Wilde that was also very interesting oh um, I don't know if you've ever taken a look at that one that is a full oh. length like novel that it, it ends sadly so it's not what we consider a romance okay. but it has a romantic plot as well as the erotic scenes some of which again are disturbing um <laughs> but it also has a lot of really interesting stuff and if it if it is indeed written by oscar wilde which it probably is it's very well written oh that's amazing i um, actually had no idea that this existed it's very you... it's a very interesting thing it's on project gutenberg you can get it for free um, oh okay very cool Okay. Excellent. So yeah, that's, and so just, yeah, it's, and I, you know, I was working in the porn store, so I've seen all the porns. <laughs> I love all the configurations of all the humans. Um, it's all good to me and it's kind of, <laughs> okay. So hopefully I did well. Um, we'll see, I guess if people like it should be good. Um, I've also got, uh, this is a, it's a queer series too. So we've got, uh, sapphics coming down coming down the line next time or, or in the third book um oh, and then some characters who are uh, I, uh I, they don't use this terminology because of the historical stuff but i think we'll understand as non-binary in books two and three Fantastic. um it's just kind of a fun fun little series so yeah you know did my best wait for a pantser you kind of have this all lined up like <laughs> Yes, it's sort of terrifying. I have to, um, that third book is going to be the first one I've ever written to contract, like to a, to like a, um, a proposal. I had to do my first proposal. I had already written a draft of the second book before oh. the contract um, came in. And then, um, so I'm editing that now uh, as of the time of this recording. And then that third one is going to be, I have a proposal and I can't pants it. I have to write it. And that's going to be interesting. Wow. I'm a pantser. Well, I'm a plantser, I guess. That's what I'm, I do is mm -hmm. like, I kind of outline, but it's mostly I, by the time I'm like into the book, like the outlines out the window and I don't look at it. Anymore. Yeah. And so I am intrigued, like how, 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 how mad will they be if you deviate from the outline? You know what I mean? I don't, I'm just hoping that, um, 
maybe it'll save me some rewriting because with like the le sheer level of pantsing that I do where I will literally sit down with no idea what is going on, I end up rewriting a lot. And that editing process takes a really kind of a long time. And I yeah. end up with just like tens of thousands of deleted words. So I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that having this proposal uh, will help me not have to do that. May I make a suggestion with those deleted words? Do you still have them? Like I, I save my yes. deleted words because I'm like, I'm that person uh -huh. where I like, I'm like, but what if I want to put that? Yes. So I have like a little, like I always have a doc running of like yeah. deleted scenes. Those are great little like gifts you can give your readers. That is a good idea. Yes. So like it helps build your mailing list. Right. Help, you know, um, so I'm just, just throwing that out there. Like okay. they're not wasted words. I'll keep that in mind. So, um, so, so I'm kind of like, I'm now that's, I've, I've made peace with my deleted scenes, mm -hmm. um, knowing that they, that I can give them to my readers, like after yeah. the book comes out, you know, so, which is pretty cool. Cause I had that's to awesome, scrap yeah. my third book in my rockstar series. I had to like scrap the first like third of it. Yeah, it happens. That's a bummer. That was like, Ooh, that's a lot. Getting yeah of, you know some of the scenes I was able to rework but most of it's gone uh-huh wow yeah I've been there it's it's sad but yeah it's for yeah. the best a lot of the time yeah but my readers got some treats that's cool treats in their inbox you know that's so fun. yeah so deleted scenes well because you did say about you know that you do a lot of edits and when you're editing your steamy bits and mm -hmm you're sort of going until you don't cringe anymore. Yes. I'm very curious, like what is making you cringe here? A lot of it is the language. Okay. Um, like on like the word sentence level uh, and things that make me cringe in my own work don't necessarily make me cringe in other people's stuff that I'm reading. So I definitely have just a different idea of what is mine. Cause if there's like rock hard throbbing members in somebody else's book, that doesn't really, that that doesn't really it doesn't make it doesn't upset me in their book but i don't know if it throbs wrong in mine it'll make me feel weird and so i just have to make sure all the words are like in the right order and it's not like awkward i guess if that I makes guess, yeah i mean i think i mean there are moments even now where i do a scene and i'm like cringe cringe cringe, cringe. but i don't know that i will ever quite get over that that's fair you know, because there are some things we have to write that's a little squirmy. Yeah. Simply by the nature of what we're writing. For sure. Right? Yes. So I'm getting used to that a little bit more. Um, it also helps me to have it well integrated. So um, part of why, I, I don't know if I sent you like way too long of a snippet. No, not at all. Okay. Um, but one thing that kind of is jarring when I'm reading and then when I reread my own stuff is if everything's like cruising along and then you get to the sex scene and like everything changes, like the voice is different, the types of words that are being used are different, the characters just don't seem quite the same. So mm -hmm. I have to make sure it's all very smooth that we transition into and out of the sex scene in a way that feels like it's still just the character's life. Oh, I kind of really like that. I never thought of, I never really thought about it like that, but it is true because mm -hmm. of course there's going to be a transition because with every sex scene, the character is going through a transformation. Right. 
there is a sort of level of discovery happening in that scene mm -hmm. that we do need to transition into because they're actually making a, a transition as a human. Right. That's really kind of interesting that I never quite thought of like that. Make a note at what time it is. Awesome. <laughs> Um, and I know that you had said um, that um, that picking the scene mm -hmm. for you was kind of an interesting exercise. Yes. And I was sort of curious about what that was like. It was really hard to decide where it begins and where it ends because the scene that I sent you, it's um, it's kind of right after Charlie and Miles have had this uh, They've had to do this bit of farcical um, impersonation where Miles shows up to give Charlie the signed book, but there's a cake tasting going on for Charlie's wedding. So the fiance is there and the fiance's grouchy mom is there and Miles has to pretend to be the like sommelier, however you say that, um, sampling the wines and the cakes and things for them. And so everyone leaves charlie and miles are kind of left to their own devices and to me that scene starts there when they're like by themselves charlie starts kind of making eyes and making implications and to me it begins like way back there and then they go upstairs they look at this like porn collection and this is all like part of it and then they hook up then the bits start coming in okay and then at the end you know there's the whole rest of the chapter before miles like goes home and jerks off like to me this scene is like three chapters long but that's not really the scene. And that's not really what you asked for. <laughs> yeah, three chapters would have been a lot. Um, yeah, but so no. show where to begin and end. <laughs> but I, I, I actually agree. And I think that that actually makes this book so, so intriguing to me is the idea that the steamy moment is really happening over the course of three chapters. Yeah. Because it is such a journey for these two mm -hmm. men that like, that like the, this steamy moment that actually doesn't end up with sex. Am I, or at least the scene you sent me. It was, is, yeah, it's interrupted. Yeah, it's interrupted. Like, and so it, it doesn't, it still kind of continues in like in yeah. another form in the next chapter. Like yeah. that to me is super like, whoa, how did you do that? It's, I don't know. <laughs> Lots of editing. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we should get down to it. And All right, let's do it. it. But um, before I, you did, you actually did set it up. So that's awesome. Mm -hmm. But I want, I'm curious why you picked the scene. Um, I mean, part of it was a little bit practical. It was, there's no, there's not like big spoilers in it because the book won't have come out, I don't think, by the time we're putting this out. So no real big spoilers here. Um, it also, I was able, there's, there were two that I considered and the other one, I couldn't figure out where to start and where to end it. Oh, really? In a way that would have enough context for it to make sense. Okay. I don't think in the format of your podcast. Okay. Um, and then the other, the other ones that I have, some are actually very short. Some, I think the hottest parts in this book are, they just do some like dirty talk here and there. It okay. only lasts a paragraph or two, and then they move on. Okay. Some, some of the roles from these stories and things, they'll just kind of like pepper it in. Um, okay. But that's not really like a scene either. So it was like process of elimination. Okay, we're gonna put a pin in the scene for a minute. I want to okay. talk about dirty talk. Yes. How do you write it and not make it cringe? Because that is a struggle, and I know that's a struggle for a lot of writers. And so there is, and I think there there is a way to do it. 
-hmm. it just becomes like, I don't know, like sometimes it can be a little bit like, like my partner's like, let's do dirty talk. And I'm like, take a bath. Like, I just like, (laughs) (laughs) that was very fair. It's, it's you know, it's, there's a, there's a, there's an art to it. There is an art to it. Let's put it that way. I lean in to the awkward and let it be comical okay and hot at the same time um this story and these characters lend themselves to that because they have this like mental attraction to each other based on these over-the-top stories so they can like say really over-the-top sort of things like i'm going to chain you to my bed and make you do the accounting for my shop and that's sort of ridiculous and over the top but it's also kind of hot because they're both like playing along it's a game and it's fun and it's hot but it's also kind of silly and so that is how it works here is that those dirty talk moments they're hot but they're also funny we're not going to pretend that it's not okay that it's not kind of silly at the same time Okay. So it's, it's not necessarily like, this is the sexy bit and we're going to do dirty talk. It's actually a little bit more whimsical. Yeah. That's just kind of like, it's kind of peppered in to the, to the, um, the dynamic between them in a way that's funny and sweet. And I think also hot. I think funny, like, I think funny and sweet lends itself to hot really easily, Mm. you know, particularly because it does show a level of intimacy between these two people, you know, like the, the yeah. ability to show that is, uh, shows the intimacy. Some of the most intimate scenes that you can, I think you can read in romance have absolutely nothing to do with sex. Yeah. yeah. You know, and can, and in fact, okay, so this is a good segue because okay. you wrote one of those moments. Okay, great. In the scene. So let's just jump to that. Um, right now there's this, you write dual point of view and yes. right now we're in Charlie's point of view and Charlie is not the writer. Charlie is the fan of the, of our novelist. Yes. So, and that is Miles. So we're in Charlie's point of view right now. Those hands, God, Charlie swore his own skin was connected to the pages. His excitement swelled to an almost painful st- stiffness as Miles traced his fingers over the print of Charlie's favorite part of his favorite book. This one is an interesting choice to read over and over, Miles whispered into Charlie's hair. A a little peck in return on his temple. What do you like about it? Charlie caught his breath enough to speak, though his voice came out very husky. Fishing for compliments, Mr. Cox. Miles traced the words again, though this time he trailed his finger over the back of Charlie's hand, swirling the skin and skittering over the lamplit gems on his fingers. Maybe I am. Okay. So I love that moment. Just like right there. Like, because it was, it was like, I love the tentative first touch, you know, Uh that sort of like, is it okay if I touch you? And maybe Mm -hmm. it's going to look a little bit like an accident just in case, you know, (laughs) you know? Um, And, and honestly, I don't, I don't think you see this often enough in books. Maybe. I think it's, I'm not, I can't argue with that, I guess offhand, but I don't know. I don't know. That's interesting. Cause I was like, oh, oh, that's really like, I don't know that I've, or at least I haven't noticed it uh, on Uh this like level. And I did like that there was this sort of, I don't know, like to me, this, this was almost more intimate than if there had been sort of wild sex going on, you know, because it's sort of, 
it's I don't know I guess it's just that sort of testing the water thing you know yeah. somebody is being very vulnerable here I mean I think that they both are to an extent but I I feel like Miles is being a bit more vulnerable with his because he's the one sort of touching yes and he is very he has not been vulnerable in a very long time this is sort of his first uh foray back into any vulnerability really in years years oh. years yes so and it's over this book it has that physical element of the the book that is connecting them right now which is what they need i think to to move forward with their relationship because it starts with this book right i'm sort of also interested in like charlie has a fiance yes he is going he, he is going to be married and yep. he is in love with miles i think or maybe in lust with his work and that yeah sort of like at, yeah at this point then can sort of like you know probably translate to love i think that that's a really interesting dynamic that's been set up in the story too particularly at the time period when this was yeah. you know frowned upon and it lends like you don't have to give any spoilers here but i'm sort of like a real curiosity how are these two men going to get to their happily ever after yeah it's a process and what is that and what will their happily ever after look like as well like i think mm -hmm. that that's something that that is like i'm very cognizant of you know and are you able so is there a difference in that sort of happily ever after because of the time period that you're writing in and that you are writing queer romance or are you giving it a little bit more of a fantasy element so that they can get that um i mean so historically speaking i mean people did live their lives and people did get to have successful queer relationships they did. in okay. this time period um right. you don't always get as much like a lot of recording about it or necessarily a lot of like details right. about it um but people did especially in bigger cities um okay. like where you can kind of kind of blend in okay. um so they're able to get a get a happy ending. They, that's why it's called the Lucky Lovers of London series too, those because the characters are all in sort of circumstances that seem pretty impossible. But don't worry, don't worry. They, they get a, they're they're able to be the lucky. You're gonna read about the lucky ones today. Um, and they they wouldn't have been the only ones. And so I think it's interesting to look at what those possibilities might have been. We sort of know that those happy endings would have been occurring. Okay, but by virtue of them being, you know, happy, we don't hear about them because if anyone had heard about them too much, then, we, then perhaps right, it wouldn't right. be happy. I mean, this is, yeah, this is like sort of fascinating research that you were yeah. able to sort of like do and find. And I'm curious, where were you able to find this research? Where, what, where, what were your go-tos? I just kind of, I really poked around. It was a lot of rabbit hole style research. Okay. Um, I am a literature nerd not a historian and so i was not especially organized about it okay. or able to answer that in a way that is extremely satisfying like in a brief moment okay. um, but i would just i just look i just go online and i'd click this and this and this and i'd go to the bibliography and find the find the books and find the where they'd gotten their research and i'd look at um there's photographs and sometimes the photographs have um little stories like oh here's aunt edna and her special friend like you right. find these these records and you find letters between people and things like that that just really show I mean, people have been living queer people have been living their lives oh, forever yeah. sometimes it's easier sometimes it's harder 
yeah. but I love I love those little rabbit holes like I love historical research it's one of my it's fun one of my favorite things to do petrified to write a historical because <laughs> the people that read them are a little nuts with their like you need to be at like if you if you like one wrong move <laughs> one wrong move and you're done yeah my book's not out yet so we'll see <laughs> that goes um Sorry, I, I don't mean to like, <laughs> no I'm I am very aware and I'm also I'm pretty open about the fact that there's historical romance authors who man their stuff is like spot on you know that they are like a historian they've got everything just right I admit I'm doing the best I can and if somebody knows more than me, I'm happy to like hear that. I'll take that and I will integrate it better next time. Well, I, mean, I also feel like you're doing, you're also dealing with a lot of historical research that is coded. Yes. You know, like special friend. And yep. like, so when you're dealing with coded research, like you need to learn to read the codes, but sometimes yeah. the codes are really obvious right. and you could, it's very easy to get it wrong. Or I don't know. I feel like because you are de dealing with a coded community from back then, like the research is always going to be, I think a little bit more slippery than sort of yeah. being able to go and sort of the definitive story of George Washington yes. or like whatever, you know yes. what I mean? Like you're never, you're never going to be able to have that. Yes. Definitely sort of piecing things together. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that that research is sort of like, you know, a lot more, a lot trickier, a lot more difficult, but yeah, I like, I love, but I love the real research rabbit holes and also looking at like, like the picture with the story, like almost like written on the back, like mm -hmm. that's the coolest way to research. Like that is yeah. awesome to sort of like end up with somebody's family photographs and have like little notes about who's on the picture yeah. and like what they were doing and you know Coney yes. Island 1876 yeah. or something you know I've, like there's a book I want to read for the in the third I have to be careful what I say because there's the books build on each other so there's potentially spoilers as okay. I talk about each book but there's a there's a biography of a female physician that was written by her lover after her death and that, so that's on like my research list for one of the later books, because that's fat. It's relevant to the story, and it's that's a fascinating piece of information. Right. They're fairly certain that they were lovers, but that's not like right out there. But she wrote the biography of this woman that she loved. So like, it's that kind of thing. So cool. Yeah. So cool. Uh, how long does it take you to write? I mean, because I know you're, you pants and you, but with all the research that you're doing too, like, I'm curious how, like what, how, and how, and then also two-part question. And then how do you synthesize what you, the knowledge that you've taken in to put it back out on the page? It takes me about a year. It, is, it took me about a year to write the gentleman's book of vices, though it, with every edit, I've had to make changes to some of the historical stuff. Like I had a, I had a friend who writes historical who caught some things mm -hmm. in a, in a beta read um, that weren't quite right. So I okay. had to fix those on one of my passes. Um, I tend to sort of research as I go. I already knew about this time period from just like kind of already knowing the literature and some of the history of it, which is why I picked it. Um, and I'd done some research into it for a fantasy I was working on too. So it was just kind of, I already had a, enough to get started and then I will like write a draft and then I'll go back and I'll make sure I have things right. Okay. 
yeah because I like Bethany Bennett who we talked about at the top of the podcast she was talking about how she has readers that will flag words and be like Mm-mm, they wouldn't have said this and then she oh. actually goes back and she's yeah. like actually no they did because she is That's very, tricky. very specific like she's yep. very specific and she is like would they have used this word in this yeah. context? And yes, they did. And, you know, she is, she, and so she's always able to back up, like when somebody comes at her. <laughs> yes, that's great. <laughs> I'm happy for her. <laughs> she can. I am not confident I'll be able to necessarily handle it with such grace, but I will be okay. Especially for words. I don't get too fussy about always using the right language because I read enough Victorian literature. <laughs> like if this read like a Victorian novel, you would not be happy. so I'm not gonna do it because you won't like it trust me you don't want it to sound like a Victorian novel well I mean there's also something to say for I mean I don't know if you watch Peaky Blinders on Netflix I have not but I I would like to okay they do a thing and this was actually written about like the New York Times or something like that where um and and it's become a trend I think Bridgerton does it I Mm -hmm. actually have not seen Bridgerton where they use music that is so not from the time period so it's like very yeah. modern almost like yeah so Peaky Blinders has this sort of like punk rock soundtrack right when you I watch love that it. and I think that that is so extraordinary and I think and I love that they do it and I know purists are probably like you know talk about cringe right like if you're yeah. a pure, like a historical purist you're probably like dying slow deaths every time they do it probably yes but I kind of love it when you come when when they come out or sort of like I'm thinking about like six on Broadway right like they're like these are like the mean girls that like you know and they have yeah. a vernacular a very modern vernacular um even though they are based in like these historical figures right I dig that like I, like I that think too. that's really cool but I don't think that would fly in it just <laughs> I don't think that'd fly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm going to keep going. Okay, okay. I have, I have your next, the next steamy, but it's, it's a little long. So everybody settle in, settle it in, but it's good. So now we're in miles point of view. <clears throat> he couldn't remember the last time he'd been so overcome and he didn't want to. Fortunately, he'd be amazed if he could remember his own name right now. Oh God, it had been so long. And Charlie, Charlie felt like pure heaven after so many months in an isolated hell. My heart is breaking, by the way, for Miles. At Miles. This, this, like just breaking. I don't even know him. Poor Miles. Poor Miles. Charlie kissed wickedly, his body searing through the fat, fine fabric of his clothes. His clothes, God, they were pretty, but not as pretty as Charlie himself. Miles, hated them. He untucked the shirt impatiently and couldn't suppress a groan when his hands met the hot bare skin of his lower back. Charlie gasped and clung to him. Miles liked that heart thundering as he wondered what other sort of responses he could get out of this beautiful man. He scratched his nails over the spot lightly, then harder until Charlie moaned softly against Miles's mouth, even better, but not enough. He ran his hands desperately over every bit of every bit he could reach, sliding up his back, down his legs, cupping his face. But sitting like this, they could only get so close. He couldn't take it, needed more. And as he tried to get it, he wound up topping the poor fellow flat on the ground harder than he meant to. Sorry, Miles whispered ragged, poor Miles. (laughs) Charlie's eyes were dark and starving. His lips were bright and more enticing than ever. He didn't answer, just dragged Miles' head down and shoved his tongue back in his mouth. They went on kissing like that, completely lost in each other, until the need for air became too urgent to ignore. 
They broke apart, their mingled breath hot and labored. This would be a good time for Miles to regain his senses, but his body and emotions had left his mind out in the rain. He was so incredibly hard that even his buttons were in danger of giving up the fight. His reason didn't stand half a chance. Instead of doing something sensible, he worked frantically at the complicated knot around Charlie's neck, stealing quick pulses of pleasure against his legs. Charlie seemed unaware that Miles had even passingly considered escape. With a rough mo movement, he helped Miles tear the, tear the tie off. Miles started on his collar stud, kissing his way down Charlie's warm neck. So, said Charlie on a low breath, tangling his finger, fingers in Miles's hair. I have to ask, which one am I, the innocent or the corrupter? He arched into Miles' kisses as they reached his collar, collarbone. I'm, I'm afraid I've lost track. He slid his hand down Miles' chest, down his stomach, all the way down to where it was most needed. Miles grunted through his teeth, shocked in the best possible way as Charlie stroked him through his trousers. Oh, said Charlie, his fingers wandering and his eyes going wide. Oh God, I think you're the corrupter, love. There's nothing innocent about this thing. Okay, I'm gonna pause here <laughs> for a moment because um, all the way down to where it was most needed, I kind of feel like that line was originally a cringe line. Oh, probably. <laughs> oh, it probably was. This whole scene was a cringe line once long ago. <laughs> and so I kind of really love how you sort of like, you know, all the way, because it could have been all the way down to the throbbing member, exactly. but instead it was all the way down to where it was most needed. Like I, I really, really love that. And I think that, you know, it, it, I don't know, like, it's funny when you sort of like write something and then walk away and go back to it later. And I do this with my day job and, you know, I will write something, I will leave it. And, and I know what I've written is terrible. Like I know mm -hmm. what I've written is hack. Uh -huh. that I need to leave it yeah and then I come back to it and I go over it again and I think of like a more elegant way to put it yeah you know and I think that it's sort of I think as writers like I always feel like that's where my imposter syndrome kicks in and I feel like mm -hmm. that I didn't get it right the first time therefore ergo I am not a writer right? oh no and that is so, and so it's like to sort of hear you go oh my first draft it's all cringe it's all cringe. oh yeah and and think about like the process it really is a process. It is. And like, you know, and sometimes the words are really awkward and messy mm -hmm. and then we have to go back and do it again. Yep. You know, so that's so like, yay, shut up imposter syndrome. Okay. I'm going to, yeah, don't going. worry about that. Such a beautiful scene. I love this scene. And I love that. It's like, they're they, like, Charlie starts playing the little game because you know, you have in the books, yeah. the innocent and the corrupter, like that is in Victorian porn in particular there's always that there's somebody corrupting an innocent yes whatever which is like that I think that's probably like sort of almost the one genre convention that there is in porn yeah porn. there is a that is like all the time and it, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it had come up earlier in their conversation in this scene as well so he's calling back to when they had just <laughs> talked about that all right so I'm gonna keep going Miles was surprised to finding himself finding Miles was surprised to find himself laughing at a moment like this, but he did. And he liked seeing the smile on Charlie's face along with his lust. It made him feel human again. Poor Miles, I love Miles. Connected, he was drunk on it as Charlie went on teasing him, closing his eyes and thrusting gently against his hand until the sweet sensation finally spurred him on. He grabbed both of Charlie's wrists and pinned them above his head. He moved fully on top, settling his knees on either side of Charlie's hips and holding his wrists so tight He'd not get away without a good fight. He kissed that smirk and bit down until he got a delicious gasp. 
Charlie's eyes closed and his hips bucked. Yes, he panted. Yes, I'm definitely the innocent. Oh, poor me. Miles dragged his lips and teeth along Charlie's neck until he found a sensitive spot that made him flinch beautifully. Poor you. It was overwhelming, too much and not nearly enough at the same time. They kissed and moved and more, moved more and more desperately against each other in time with their tongues, building up into something truly delicious. It was well past time, past time to start doing the thing properly, wasn't it? He reached between them to start on Charlie's straining buttons. God, he hoped he could last considering footsteps, footsteps in the hallway. Hel Hell came sharply back to Miles's mind, the terror, the death, and all the other reasons he could not do this. He darted up onto knees that were incriminatingly settled on either side of the man, the man of the house. He wiped his mouth and looked down, horrified. The state of them was too obvious to hide, clothes disheveled, breathing labored, their bodies a beacon of evidence against them, and the books, the books and artwork strewn about everywhere, a, lascivi a lascivious mess, spread too far, too tidy and too far to tidy in time. Shh, Charlie soothed. His eyes went sideways to the closed door, though the way he settled his hands on Miles' backside didn't express an awful lot of concern. The footsteps came and went down the hall and back up it and then vanished down the stairs. Oh my God, my heart stopped too. <laughs> At that, like footsteps, the footsteps, uh -huh. I was like, fuck. <laughs> um, that that immediate flick of danger like I thought that was so well done and oh, of good. course there would be a worry like there's real danger written in there you know and mm -hmm. and that you addressed it too I think is great because I don't um that it, like, you know there is sort of a fear of getting caught and clearly something had happened in Miles's past yeah that, that amplified that fear whatever it was which yes. I'm sure we will learn in the book yes it's not really much of a spoiler it's kind of out by the by the you kind of know what's going on okay early okay. pretty early on um that he's he's seen he's seen some shit <laughs> and uh <laughs> charlie on the other hand is rich and hasn't seen some shit and is pretty confident that he can like carry on these sorts of affairs even when he's married and things like that just because he's kind of because he's in that social sphere that he can probably get away with it because there is a class divide that yeah that allows him to does it allow him to be more open or does it just allow him like how i'm kind of curious like how he can get away with it it allows him to feel a bit more certain that if anything went wrong either no one would really want to make much trouble or his family's reputation and money could get him out of trouble um the way the law was in 1883 is very different than 1885 like there's an enormous oh, wow. shift um when the criminal act amendment and the concept of gross indecency came about in 1885 which is why i actually chose 83 for this one it was a lot more difficult to convict anyone of um gay sex stuff in okay. britain um okay. in this particular year so um charlie ultimately given the way that the things are written and his um position is just he's just not particularly worried that he's going to get enough uh just that there would be evidence that would be sufficient to cause him too much trouble, probably. So it might be a bit of a, it might be a bit scandalous, but otherwise he was he he was pretty his position kept him pretty. He's pretty confident, yes. Okay. Though Miles, on the other hand, has kind of seen where there's 
loopholes, there's lesser charges, there's there's still ways for things to go wrong. Okay. If the stars don't align for you. God, what a predicament. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I think that that's sort of like what what an interesting time period to write queer romance because there is always this sort of undercurrent of if this goes wrong it could go horribly horribly wrong yeah and to be able to successfully weave that into the writing yet also be able to give them that happily ever after and you know and do all of that and make sure that it doesn't sort of I don't want to say bog down the book, but I guess for lack of like a better yeah. way, like to bog down the book. You, yeah, you I know? know what you mean for you sure. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, I think that that is kind of extraordinary. And like, I don't, I'm like, I don't think I could do it. <laughs> like, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to put it right out. I don't think I could do it. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you got your own thing going on. I know. I, I you don't have to. Thing. I got my own thing. But I think that that takes like an incredible, um, an incredible amount of skill, frankly, well, that, thank you. Um, you know, that, that I think is really e extraordinary. And Thanks. this book is great. Like this book is a really good book. Thanks. This is a really good book, everybody. So I Love highly that. Thank you so much. Yeah. Like highly, highly, highly recommend um, reading this when it comes out. Cause it's like, it's a, it's a gorgeous story. And, um, and I love Miles. That's awesome. I love Miles I too. Love Miles. Miles. Like I was like, Miles. Yeah. He's, he's just so great. I'm like, Miles. Um, so okay, so this is coming out November 29th. 9th. And you got the second, but do you have a pub date on the second one yet? It is um planned for next July which is okay. also a new Barbie movies coming out. So we're going to have an exciting July next year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, some of the things I've got on my calendar. I love Margot Robbie. I don't know what to make of this movie. <laughs> I don't know either, but you know, that and then my the, the second book should be coming out in July, but the pub date's not set yet. And then the um, the third one is not is not set, but I think they're all coming out about eight or nine months apart. Okay is kind of the right. the plan right. at the moment so what are you kind of like in between like you know you've got the book coming out and it's a bit of a ways off i mean you know trad publishing is awesome and it's great but it's slow yes so like, <laughs> it is <laughs> so like what are you do, like what are you doing in the in the in the lead up are you i mean obviously trying to make connections with other authors or readers and well, right now, because of how the nexus of deadlines works out, I'm actually trying to market book one, edit book two, and draft book three all at the same time. And so that's plenty. That's <laughs> that's, <I'm busy. laughs> that's keeping me plenty busy. Um, trad publishing is slow, but that does not mean that I can be slow yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in the pace that I'm keeping up at the moment. Um, once that settles down, I'll kind of figure out the next project, like whether it makes sense to expand this series further or whether it makes sense to move on to something different. I have another idea um, for another series that once once I, I pause or I'm, I'm through the Lucky Lovers one, I've got another another thing up my sleeve. So cool. I just have a lot of ideas and I'll just kind of keep going with them. But yeah, right now I've got plenty plenty to do because the the way that it's slow but they overlap right right so things all in like a different uh different state right especially and, since uh, 
you got the three book deal. So like you, you're not trying to shop the next book. Like you, you actually have like a schedule you need to keep. Right. Not as of now. Um, I'm not sure when this, uh, podcast will release that might change by that point, but at the moment there's plenty, plenty going on, plenty yeah. to keep me busy. Um, and then more ideas for when I find that I've gotten through all the work I have to do, I can make more work for myself. So are you, I hope. are you, are these ideas, are you sticking in the historical realm or are you going to come and play in the contemporary world? I'm going to stick in historical for now, though. I'm going to most likely cross the pond. Oh, um, very cool. And yeah. kind of look into something. I did some research a while back for something else into um, like mining towns and stuff. And so I may want to dive back into that at some point. I don't have anything really specific, um, but that's just kind of kind of in the back of my mind for when there's time to think about it. And how's the marketing going? That's always like the tricky bit. Like they, like they always say writing the book is hardest. And like, I agree with that, but sometimes I'm like, no, actually finding the readers is the hardest. I don't know. I don't know. I can't even tell you. I am not super <laughs> online and I'm not like super talented at marketing. Fortunately, the um the Karina team's been great. Okay. Good. Um I I've gotten quite a bit of support and I I've felt really good kind of about where things are going. It's kind of just at this time of recording, things are just kind of ramping up with marketing uh devices. So I guess I'm kind of still experimenting, still learning, still figuring out what to expect with marketing and what's what's mine, what's my publishers, what what to do. Because now suddenly people can see me on the internet and my book can be found. I apparently exist and can be perceived in the world. So I have to figure out how to... What, what do, do you do with that? that? Is, I don't know how marketing's going. Hopefully it's going well and hopefully hopefully I can do the things that I need to do. I have a great team helping me out, which is fantastic because I I need it. <laughs> have you tried TikTok yet? Just out of curiosity. It's like no. where all the cool kids are. I hear that. I am I'm supposedly I'm gonna make a little clip for somebody else's TikTok. So I'm gonna start there and then they can put me on their TikTok. Oh, that's and a good idea. How'd you get that? That feels more comfortable to me. There's um a little, like a 22 debuts group, like a Slack channel. And so people whose books are all coming out, their first books in 2022 can all kind of get together oh, and chat. Cool. And someone put out like a call like, oh, I have this TikTok channel. Anybody want to come on it and like make me a little clippy thing and I'll put it out. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. Um, so there's been a couple of those. I think someone else is going to do, do one with the recreate your cover photos. Um, oh, that's a great idea. At some point. Yeah. I got a little hot pink top hat. For that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I actually really like that idea. Yeah. It was really cute. That. I might steal it. Cause that's fun. Yeah. And I, I just I figured... don't know what to do. Like I got, I have TikTok. I'm on there and they're like, make a video and it's like, of what? Yeah, I don't know. I, like, I, I'm just like, of what? 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 <laughs> I'm not on. Like, I don't. Wa- I don't like watch TikTok either, so I don't really know what they're doing. I assume that would be the place to start. Would be to go explore what other authors are doing on there, and and I do, and I'm like, y'all are just so much better than me. Like, <laughs> I'm just like, no, I can't. Like, like, even then, I'm like, oh, that's a really great idea. Not gonna do it. And then- <laughs> oh gosh. 
I'm just glad I didn't have TikTok when I was like a teenager and I was in theater. I would have never done anything but TikTok. I don't think my entire, I would have just been making stupid stuff and putting it on TikTok all the time, I think, if I had that available when I was younger. Yeah, I know, right? But now like old me is like horrified by the right. thought of having to do it. <laughs> yes, it's kind of funny to think back like, man, I would have loved this then. Why am I so old? I know, but it's like now, no, don't love it. Don't no. love it. Don't love it. <laughs> Well, Jess, where can people find you hiding on the internet? I I have great place to go, just jesseverly.com. You can find my books um, and uh, general info. I'll start having the release dates for the other books and things up there as soon as I've got them. Um, you can also sign up. I have a very occasional newsletter that you can sign up for <laughs> there. Um, I do post like updates and occasional nonsense on Instagram at gratuitous banter. If you cannot spell gratuitous, which I can't, I misspell it like every time you just look up Jess Everly and I'll pop up on there um, and on Facebook as well, Jess Everly. And that'll be, there'll be updates and you can find me and you can reach out and talk to me. I don't always like put a ton out, but I'm always, I, I check it and I, I'm always really happy to hear from people. I was very happy to hear from you for instance, <laughs> Elle. So and I also will have all of these links in the show notes um, so that you don't have to like pull your car over if you're listening while you're driving. Great. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> um, Jess, thank you so much for coming on. It was super, super fun to talk to you. Yes. Thank you. This was so great. Yeah. Come back for the next one. I, you know, I'll be in touch for sure. Awesome. I'm cool. still working on making the scenes not cringy right now. That's part of literally what I'm going to go do probably when we're done talking. So. Make notes on the process for us. <laughs> okay. All Fair right, enough. Cool. Thanks, Jess. All right. Thank you. Thanks so much to Jess for being a guest. And thanks so much to you for listening. Next time, Ashlyn Druick is on the steam seat. She is the author of Malum Discordiae, which has been tearing up, I might've said that wrong, which has been tearing up social media for something like a year now. So like and subscribe in your podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Until then, thanks for listening.